Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. How you doing tonight, buddy? Thursday. Thirsty Thursday. Oh, Not great, Bob. I see, I see you drinking a beer there. It looks like... Uh, Maybe a certain uh, pro team is not going your way right now. Drinking a delicious Midnight Brewery Rockville Red and seeing the Packers beat the 49ers 21-3 at the current moment, which should be no shock when legitimately – Get the scabs up <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> not too many starters. Um, backup quarterback, backup tight end, backup offensive lineman. Um, Top three wide receivers are out. Top legitimate offensive weapon out. You know, it is what it is. So we might as well record it because I'm not, you know, (laughs) nothing really to gain here. Something that is really thrilling or making you very happy. Exactly. Exactly. What about you? It's a nice little thing to background. It's like, oh, yeah, look, they suck again. Okay. What have you been up to tonight? Oh, man, um, wifey had a late meeting, so I was hanging out. I actually went and picked Wyatt up before my class and then hung out with him for a while. Had some uh, Chipotle for dinner, so sometime tonight or tomorrow it might be fun times, but right now <laughs> I'm good to go. <laughs> oh, jeezy. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a little TMI for our listeners, but, you know, we got to throw it out there. All right. Hey, there's there's stuff out there that sometimes you just got to do. You know, it's to the benefit of yourself in the long run, not the short run. You know, so respect on that, Mr. Siegler. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Before we hit know the enemy, Brian, let's let's take a look. Couple hokey headlines today. Um, one goes back all the way to last Thursday. You know, clearly we recorded last Wednesday and then Saturday night. Well, when it's midnight. We've been drinking and watching football all day. Sometimes things slip our mind. But Hokies pick up a very nice commitment out of the state of Tennessee. Jaden Keller, the three-star athlete, 6'3", 202, out of Bristol. So literally right on the line there. The video was pretty cool with him showing both sides of the line, especially a guy who reports a Tennessee offer and a Virginia Tech offer with a few other ones. But we got him. What are you seeing so far on this guy, Brian? Um, I mean, as you noted, he, he plays on both sides of the ball, plays wide receiver, primarily safety on defense, but I think we're projecting him more as a, as an outside linebacker, playing the backer position like Alan Tisdale uh, right now. Really reminds me a lot of Tisdale actually coming out of high school. He's 6'3", 202. Tisdale was 6'3", like 208. Um, so they're in the same ballpark. Um, in terms of their size, um, Keller may be a, a, a shade more athletic. As we said, he, he does stuff on the offensive side of the ball as well. He lines up in the backfield, split him out wide, kind of does a little bit of everything on the offensive side of the ball. But on defense, just really good at tracking the ball, really good tackler. So I, I really like what we're getting um, from him. Like I said, I think he's going to fit in perfectly um, whenever Alan Tisdale moves on to that backer position. Very nice. So definitely we see him on the defensive side of the ball um, coming in with a good frame, you know, something you looked up right before we jumped on here, what Tisdale looked like. And he's kind of a mirror image of Allen. Um, and, you know, Allen was getting to the right weight before the whole crazy off season started. Now he's playing undersized. 
So hopefully this kid can get to that level pretty quick. Now, Brian, other news breaking today was Virginia Tech has hired additional football staff. Shout oh, out. yeah. Samantha, money, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Samantha Stewart joins Virginia Tech as an assistant AD of player engagement for football. Um, and in this role, she's going to direct and administer program services um, and enhance the personal growth and development of the football student athletes. She'll implement personal development programs, community service activities, career preparation, post-grad, um, and she'll also assist in the recruiting efforts as well. This is per Virginia Tech's website. Um, she comes from Loyola of Chicago, um, and she was an assistant athletic director there, uh, basically planning, budgeting, organizing, you know, student development type stuff. Has her master's from Harvard's education school, so obviously a very bright young, uh, bright person joining the staff. And what, what more can you say? You just said it, Brian. It's money, right? Like we're spending money. We're trying to get to the level where we should be. Yeah, we're, we're finally starting to run the recruiting and player development side of things like a major college football program instead of like a mom and pop organization. Um, <laughs> And, and, and a lot of that, honestly, it worked for us under Frank for a while. Um, but in the last decade, we've been passed by significantly. And some of that is, you know, a situation where we had assistant coaches that were paid very well, that over time that pay was not rising comparative to every everyone else in our conference. And uh, obviously, especially everyone else that's playing – you know, top 10 football consistently. So it's nice to see us catching up on the recruiting side of things. That's obviously one of the areas that we need the most improvement. I feel like as the, as, an, as a football team is um, getting recruiting on the level that it needs to be. And it's not going to grow unless we're spending some money there. Um, there's only so much that recruiting can do without the financial support that goes along with it. So I'm not saying overnight we're all of a sudden going to be a top 10 recruiting team, but putting more investment on that side of things is definitely going to help us in the long run. 100%. I mean, and, and that's, you got to spend money to make money essentially. And again, you're, you're starting to take what you're seeing with these last few roles. The young lady that came up from app state, I'm sorry, her name escapes me right now, even though I follow her on Twitter now and this young lady is you're starting to put less and less responsibility on the coaches during visits, looking at, you know, other things, you know, when they go on their road trips and stuff. It's more of this is going to be the person handling you, and then the coaches are going to be in there and just sell versus the coaches doing everything. So, again, it's a good development. It's another position. And, uh, again, we're slowly but surely getting there. Um, you know, who knows what happens if there's no pre-COVID or there's no COVID because, you know, I think after what happened with the Baylor stuff, I think you was going to see a massive influx of positions, probably not so much now. Um, so we shall see. The fact that we're spending money budget crunch aside is probably as much as we could ask for all things considered. So I'm going to take it. 
Um, yep. Once things clear up on the COVID front and we get back to business as usual at that point, I'll start, you know, hammering more on the salary side of things, especially for our assistants. But I like the effort to get some more support staff on the recruiting, you know, even with everything going on with COVID. So kudos to the, to the guys in the front office. They got that done. Absolutely. Kudos to witness staff. All right, Brian, well, let's move on. Know the enemy. Going to do some breakdowns here like we always do every week, guys. This week, it's the number 25 Liberty Flames or the Hokies appointment. Liberty comes in at 6-0. Let's start offensive side, Brian. I want to start with clearly a name a lot of Hokies fans know well. That's Malik Willis, their quarterback. Former Hokie commit who essentially decommitted from us, flipped, went to Auburn, Stay down there for a couple of years, then got shipped, essentially not shipped out, but then transferred himself to Liberty. And he's had a really, really good season so far, Brian. Um, another dual threat type quarterback so far, 1,122 yards passing, nine touchdowns to one interception, great ratio there, 67% completions. He does lead his team in rushing with 495 yards at seven a rush, um, which – I'm sure for a lot of these fans, they're having now bad flashbacks of all the previous years, mobile quarterbacks burning us. He had six touchdowns. Yeah, another six touchdowns of that. So 15 total touchdowns for him. He is top 20 in completion percentage. Um, also top 20 and responsible for at 18. Um, he is fourth in yards per rush which is the highest for a quarterback in the country. So, you know, clearly best rushing quarterback in the country based on stats. Um, Brian, what makes him so dangerous and why he's putting up these kind of numbers? He's got good vision once he finds the lane. Um, he, he does a great job of turning a lot of gains into big gains. Um, we saw it a lot in the Syracuse tape that I watched, um, turning a couple of those that look like, okay, well, he's, he's running like a quarterback lead sweep and all of a sudden he cuts it up and it's like a 30 yard gain. So he does that a lot. Pretty good in the scramble drill, um, finds openings in the pass rush lanes and takes advantage of those, making linebackers miss in space. So he's someone that we definitely need to keep an eye on. Honestly, the offense as a whole reminds me a lot of kind of like, I mean, I'll call it what it is, like a little bit of a poor man's Louisville. Um, run a lot of zone read and RPO concepts. Um, sometimes they'll take shots out of the RPO. Sometimes oh. it's more about trying to confuse the, uh, confuse the, 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 uh, the linebackers and hitting some of those intermediate routes. So, um, but Willis, primarily is going to try to beat you with his legs. Um, he's efficient with his arm, as you said. I mean, he's, he's, he's leading up there with quarterback efficiency, but he is not someone that's going to consistently beat you with his arm. He's going to definitely look to be um, a run-first quarterback. Awesome. Well, Brian, you know, you, you mentioned that about his legs, and then, you know, we, we, we give the running stats, but then you say, well, you know, he's legs first, but he still has a very good rapport with his primary target, his favorite target for Malik, the five foot nine hundred and eighty-five pound wide receiver DJ Stubb. 
So far, Stubbs this year, 27 receptions for 375 yards, about 14 yards per catch with uh, three touchdowns. Um, he's a three-star. He is out of Florida. He is not a transfer. Um, the there's a lot of them that are transferring into Liberty. Um, you know, he doesn't really jump out in one specific category, you know, in the country. But when a team like this is running the ball, you know, over 60 percent, you know, right at 40, 39 percent, you know, passing the ball, you really wouldn't expect him to do that. So it kind of makes sense. But he is doubling up the other receivers on this team um, in receptions and his yards. So I feel like we've got to go a little bit more in depth on DJ. What are you seeing from him and what do they like to do with him, Brian? So in the past game, and I'll, and I'll go ahead and break down the past game a little bit more here as well. I've noticed that it looks like they like to, in the games that they played weaker competition, they've thrown it more. And in games that they have a little more of a stout front, they've actually run it more. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so a lot of the games where Willis had a lot of those passing yards came against teams that I would consider more inferior competition relative to Liberty. Okay. Versus some of the other games that they played uh, where the competition was close to level or in the same ballpark like your Syracuse's. Um, but the way they use DJ Stubbs, they use him a lot in the intermediate routes on the RPO, and they take a lot of shots with him out of the RPO. Okay. Um, I've seen him run some some digs and some uh, slants, some kind of square ends, and I've seen him get take you know take a couple shots down the field with him in the on a uh, fade or a go route. So they'll use him kind of in different ways. They're not going to really run a full route tree with him, um, but they they do like to work the in- intermediate area of the field with them, and they'll take some shots with him. So it sounds like, Brian, the reason he's probably leading this team in receptions is he probably is the guy who can do all the things as compared. Yeah. When you see a guy double up and you just mentioned it there, he's taking deep shots. He's running some intermediate. He's not doing a massive route tree, but he's going deep. He's running digs. He's running across the middle. He's running some square ends. Kind of makes sense why he is their leading wide receiver. But, but Brian, let's, let's just be straight up with it. I mean, you take a look. They're running 60-40. Obviously, the running game is a huge part. We've already hit Willis up a little bit about what he's doing. But three running backs, Josh Mack, Peyton Pickett, and Shidre Luis, they're averaging respectively Mack five and a half per carry, Peyton Pickett five per carry, and Shidre Lewis 8.7 a carry. The team is number six in the country rushing to football, 255 yards a game, 14 total touchdowns. Um, now, Brian, I, I do want to look at their offensive line. I know you'll probably hit that, but – they kind of rank kind of in the middle, giving up sacks, about two a game, but they in kind of in the middle, third down percentage at 43.9. So what not only – why are they having such a good rushing attack with these guys, and what's their line doing that helps them there but maybe not as good in pass protection? Sure. So the big thing that they have, um, you mentioned it, uh, Cedar Lewis – um, he is their big play guy. He is very similar in both ability and in breakaway speed, as we saw with Hawkins for Louisville. So oh, okay. he's a guy, when he gets to the second level, he will run away from you. 
so I, I liked our game plan that we had for Hawkins last week. I, I would pretty much like to see something similar to kind of hold him in check. Now, the other two guys are significantly different in their, uh, their style of running. So Mac and, and Mac actually has, has seen his, his uh, snap count go down significantly since the first part of the season. Um, but he's more of your kind of one cut stick mover type back. Uh, whereas Pickett is very much a kind of a bulldozer type back. He's a guy that can run over you, but he's got just enough of a wiggle to kind of um, make things happen in space as well. Um, but I, like I said, I'm more worried about Lewis in this case because I saw him hit two home runs against Syracuse, including a 75 yarder. Ooh. And I'm more concerned about the big play against the a team like Liberty than I am with, you know, six and eight yard gains, because I feel like on the, on the, the, the whole, we will be able to c- contain that, but getting beat with one play, that's, you know, much harder to, um, you know, come back from. All right. Um, what else are they doing in the running game? I mean, is it just, is it just zone read type stuff? Or are they, you know, inside outside or what, what's kind of making them, what's making them. So they, they, they throw a lot of window dressing in the running game. Uh, you'll see jet motion. You'll see three or four running backs in the backfield with Willis. They'll do a lot of, uh, I mentioned it earlier, some, some lead quarterback sweeps. You know, they, they like that a lot. It gives Willis an opportunity to, to read a block and then cut up field. They'll do that several different ways. Sometimes they'll just run that um, to the side where the running back is and let the running back lead. Sometimes they will do, they'll send jet motion, uh, towards uh, where the running backs aligned, fake it to the fake the zone read, and then let the uh, the quarterback keep it uh, towards the jet motion and let the jet man be the lead blocker there. So you'll see them kind of deploy a lot of different things there, but they use window dressing to good effect. So it's going to be key that we kind of don't chase guys that don't have the football. <laughs> don't want to get out of position. In, in that case with, with a guy that's not even uh, not even got the football in his hands. So, but their offensive line is, is good, but they're not, they're not great. Um, they're kind of undersized, a little more finesse type offensive line, but they're very technically sound uh, so that they, they've been coached well. And uh, they do a good job of staying on their blocks so that those, you know, track level athletes that they have can climb to the next level and, you know, cause some havoc there. So it's going to be key that we shed blocks and, have good run fits from our linebackers and our safeties and, and run coverage. I hear you, man. Um, taking a look here, looks like Sam Craig is their offensive line coach. And just looking through his, not the biggest, you know, resume um, so far, you know, like graduated from Murray State, Arkansas, Monticello, Southwest Baptist are some of his coaching stops. So, Clearly, they have kind of found one um, kind of out of the NCAA D2 rough that has done a good job with what they've got there. So, Brian, let me ask this. What do we do to stop them? Because I feel like defensively, I feel like that's more important this week than offense. Just because, you know, we know what this offense, when they're running right, can do. Defense has had the struggles this year. 
Yeah, they've definitely been more up and down. Um, they played some good games. They played some bad. They played some good halves, so they've put together that with the bad half and vice versa. So uh, it'll be interesting to see um, how they do. But, you know, if, if I'm coaching them up, I'm telling my linebackers, you got to stay home, stay disciplined, don't fall for the window dressing. Um, because that's going to be something where if we get one or two guys out of position on those, it can create some really big holes. And once those line, those uh, running backs get to the second level, it could be, uh, you know, lights out, especially if it's Lewis with the ball. If we can hold up good inside, I feel good about guys like Tisdale, Connor, and Taylor. Um, they're going to need to come up, make some big plays on the edge, and then the scramble drill uh, to avoid any of those plays on the edge getting t- uh, turning into big gains. And just in the passing game, it's going to be kind of similar to what I said with Louisville, and that's going to be keep their primary uh, wide receiver threat in front of you, and that's going to be Stubbs. So if you can keep Stubbs in front of you, stay home at the backer position, and then make those plays as uh, some of those running game uh, rushes get spilled outside, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a reason Hugh Freeze had success down the SEC. I mean, that year, you know, he, he beat Bama. He beat some of the better teams down there. The guy knows how to coach football. He's scumbag. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> but he knows how to coach football. So yep. especially, especially on the offensive side, very innovative in a lot of the stuff he's always done. Um, yeah. Any, any, anything, any, any, when, when this hire was made, let me ask Brian, <laughs> were you shocked by it? Man. After everything that's come out recently, absolutely not. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Right. It, it, you know, even even before I was like, that's a that's an interesting juxtaposition. Um, <laughs> you know, inauspiciously uh, let go due to indiscretions with uh, school issued cell phones, and just say it. Just say it. <laughs> sex lines, man. Sex lines. <laughs> I mean, like, let's just be real. Like, he, he essentially, we talked about getting them, them. Hold on, on the circle walks. Me and you had the conversations about Ole Miss. They're getting those bomb recruiting classes. What were we like? Within two years, they're gonna get busted. And we expected something is going on there. I don't know what's going on. We all, money. all of a sudden go, you know, jump into the top eight three years in a row without something going on there. But it's like, like it's I know you recruit, but you can't recruit. Like, again, if, if, if Ole Miss, regardless of the coach, was putting out top 20 classes every year and then you jump to eight, you might say something. But when you go from, like, 45 to eight. Exactly. <laughs> Raise some alarms a little bit. Big alarms. But that's right. either here nor there. I mean, now he's at Liberty. Um, he's getting some quality players in there. Obviously, we talked about Malik being, um, you know, a former uh, Hokey recruit. You know, I think he was projected to play set one of the safety positions for us. Mm-hmm. We weren't looking at him at quarterback, and now he's playing quarterback for Liberty. So Exactly. All right. Well, let's flip it. Let's get going on the defense real quick because – as good as the offense is, the defense is showing out pretty good too for them. Um, they are a top ten total defense, Brian. They give up only two hundred and ninety four yards a game. 
they forced eight turnovers in six games. So, you, you, as a as a defense, you probably are looking for more ten to twelve. So a little bit on the low side, um, averaging about three sacks per game, which is pretty daggone good, and six tackles for loss. So getting to the backfield some, um, even as good as those numbers say, Brian, still they're giving up twenty one points per game. Um, you you would kind of expect maybe a little less than that. So it's kind of interesting. Top 10 on third down stops. We've discussed our issues already with our third downs in the last few weeks. I don't like that. Um, so, Brian, what kind of defense are they running, and why have they been so effective? So they run a hybrid 3-4 front, um, which for those that, that don't know, um, in this case what we're talking about is that you've got the, 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 the positions that are really kind of different that make it the hybrid are the bandit and rover positions, which in this case are their edge rushers or, or guys that play the, the traditional outside linebacker role in a 3-4 defense. And the way they deploy the bandit is more like a traditional 3-4 edge rush, usually lined up opposite uh, the strength, um, rushing on the weak side, primarily a rush first um, player. Think of like a almost like a Von Miller type player would usually be that uh, that bandit role and sometimes they'll they'll be in coverage but usually that's like covering the flat they're usually not in any sort of middle of the field responsibility and coverage um, then the rover is the opposite of that the rover is more of a cover first outside linebacker very similar to how we deploy our whip almost like a nickel but they play a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage Sometimes in the box, sometimes out, depending on the alignment of the offense, whether it's, you know, a heavy wide receiver set or something more, you know, one or two tight end. And so that kind of really gives them flexibility in how they they mix up their fronts. You know, they'll kind of shuffle their guys over where when the bandits rushing the passer, it almost looks like a almost like a four two with just a stand up defensive end to the weak side. And then sometimes it looks more like a traditional uh, three-four front that you're used to seeing um, a lot of teams run. So, but they are a little bit smaller up front than you would see with a typical three-four defense. So their nose isn't huge. Their tackle DNs are not very very big either. So they're pretty average against the run because of that. Um, they do have some good linebackers. And they have a uh, really great pass rush, especially those edge guys, uh, particularly the guy that uh, plays the bandit position for them. They did have some success in uh, slowing down the passing game, and it, that's really predicated on getting after the quarterback and kind of mixing up where they're bringing the pressure from. Nice. Now, Brian, I do see, you know, the edge being the weakness. Let's hope we run outside zone, unlike against Wake Forest, where we should have ran inside zone, but that's us here and there. About to get on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the, the heart of their defense isn't great, but definitely the edge is the weakness. Because of the way they mix up the alignment of the Bandit and Rovers, sometimes that creates a softer edge for them. So we should be able to get to the edge in the outside zone and, and give Khalil Herbert some areas to um, either find the alley or cut back. Now, Brian, I take a look at this defense, and as I was looking through their players, one guy definitely stood out. Um, Redshirt senior, transfer from University North Carolina Charlotte, and you know Anthony Butler, six one two twenty five linebacker, forty one tackles, three tackles for loss, one sack. 
two interceptions. Um, along with him, Brian, is there anybody else that on the defensive side of the ball that we need to really make work? Like work. Like if you tell me they're having to kill themselves to stop us, I'll feel comfortable say they're not going to win this game. They're better players are dominate or getting dominated. Yeah. So other than Anthony Butler is going to be Darrell Johnson um, with Butler. I mean, he's a, he's a linebacker, the inside linebacker. He gets really good reads and he pursues plays well, sideline to sideline uh, comes up and makes really sure tackles. He's also good in coverage. He has uh, two interceptions on the season. So he's a guy that can kind of make plays both in the run game and the passing game. Um, but when we're looking at, probably the thing that could hurt us the most, it's going to be Darrell Johnson, um, the pass rusher. Um, he plays that bandit position that I've been talking about. And he's probably the, the guy that concerns me the most because when he can get after the quarterback, you know, that's when those, the, the, the turnovers that they have forced, that's when those things come. Uh, whether it's, um, you know, forcing a throw too quick for an interception or tip ball or, you know, things like that. So, Darrell Johnson is probably the person I want to focus on neutralizing because he's the one that kind of hurts you in ways that, that are harder to overcome than just like a, you know, two or three yard loss on, on a first down run or something like that. All right. So Darrell Johnson, Anthony Butler, two names to remember out there, Hokie fans, as you're watching the game Saturday afternoon. So Brian, we look at the stats. We look at what they do. We look at a couple of their key players. How are we attacking them? We are going to run the football, run the football, and run the football. We run, run, uh, run. Yeah, I don't want us to pass unless we're just trying to keep them honest. If they start stacking the box, we can start working in some passes. But just the way they are up front, I feel like we should be able to impose our will and, and, and almost run at will again on this team. If we don't do that, I will be a little concerned. I want to stay ahead of the sticks because of our troubles on third down and because of what they like to do with the pass rush. If we can stay ahead of the sticks and get to third and shorts, I feel like we can convert more often than not. And it gives us the choice of run or pass in those situations, which will take some of the aggressiveness away from those um, edge rushers and, and defensive ends that are trying to rush the passer. They've got to still honor the run. They can't just pin their ears back. Um, so that you know, gets to my other point here, converting on third downs. We have to be better than we were last week converting on third down. If we're not, I, I, I'm not going to be happy win or lose. And in the passing game, honestly, the short stuff should work against these guys because of their aggression. I want to see short passes, screens, um, throwbacks. We want to take advantage of the aggression that they like to rush the passer with and, and make that work in our favor. So, what you're kind of saying is the things that we have done best over the season early last week, we, I saw somebody out there kind of complained about one of the drives where I think we, did we kick a field goal or did we score where we passed the ball numerous times, but it wasn't deep shots. It was pepper pop, 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 pop. And then we ran. So it sounds like if we short pass, run, 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 short pass, we keep them honest, and they start coming more and more up where second half we can go deep, right? Exactly. All right, perfect. That's um, exactly what I, that's the game plan. I like, again, it's very similar to uh, 
to what we did with Louisville. So I, I like but game plans on both sides of the football pretty much staying the same this week with some tweaks. Awesome. All right. So let's be straight up here, Brian. Man, this is a 6-0 and team. They're ranked for the first time, I believe, in their school history. But all six opponents are not created equal, Brian. <laughs> um, me and you and other people have talked about this, but let's let's just look at a few things here. First of all, they played six opponents. Hey, Brian, those six opponents have won a combined four games. Yeah, they've played more games than the, their opponents have won. They've lost 28. So let's take the Liberty losses out of there. They're combined four and 22. They're not winning 23% of their games. So these aren't that good of teams in Southern Miss, Northern Alabama, who was an FCS opponent who the Hokies were scheduled to play this year in September. FIU, Western Kentucky, ULM, and Syracuse. Syracuse started with the ACC. We've talked about them. They are the worst team in the ACC. I think they have one win, and that was over Georgia Tech. No, not Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech? I don't yes. Okay. Let's just do some rankings. First of all, we can't even look at North Alabama because they're not in the FBS. We have no statistical data on them. Brian, you ready for it? Break it you, down, bud. You mentioned it, right? Man, this offense is lighting up. We mentioned the staff. They're good. When you play teams ranked 41, which is the best, 80, 86, 67, and 91, I hope you were putting up points. I hope you were putting up a lot of yards. Because if you're not – you're probably worse than them significantly. Now, I'll be straight up. We are not a juggernaut. We're at 83, so we're down in there. I think we played significantly better competition offensively than them. You mean but, Southern Miss and ULM and FIU? Hell yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. Because you know why? I mean, Sy- Syracuse is the only team that has an excuse for their 86 ranking. <laughs> on, on total defense, yes. Total offense. What if I told you that was worse? Oh, give worse. me the rundown, man. The best offense they've played is Southern Miss. 66 total offense. Not good. It gets worse significantly. ULM is at 92. Western Kentucky is at 96. FIU is at 97, and Syracuse, who is the only one that's played Division I significant competition, is at 100. Syracuse would have made that game interesting if Tommy DeVito was starting. True. Now, I'll say this. Defensively, Western Kentucky ranks 41, right? But their best two defensive games came against Chattanooga. What's Chattanooga, Brian? They're an FCS school. Oh, you're talking about, yeah, yeah, FCS, absolutely. They're an FCS school. <laughs> and the other was Middle Tennessee State. Middle Tennessee State's another one of the worst teams. If you don't remember watching the Army game where they oh, got rampled. 
if you take those two performances out, Western Kentucky is giving up 38 points per game. That's the best defense they've played. Now, Virginia Tech on the offensive side of the ball, this will be the best offense this team has seen. We are ranked 16th in the country, total offense, the number four rushing offense. And as we say that, Brian, and as I put that out there, I think we've got a, uh, what's the terminology for, I think we have a paper champion. Okay, okay. We're a paper champion. But the game still has to be played, right? It still has to be played. And they, they are good enough on offense where we can't go out there and play like we did against Wake and expect to win. But if we play anywhere near our capability, then we should win. It, it should it should be a a contest that we put away pretty quick. Absolutely. So let's let's flip it, Brian, because clearly we still got to play the game. There's still pivotal key players that we need to mention. Let's start on defense, Brian. I know I don't have it in that order. But let's start on defense. The number one moving up, and I feel like <laughs> either they have been on this list or the entire group has been on this list every week. Who's our number one? D tackles. And why is that? D tackles. You need to play well because they run the ball a lot. <laughs> we we cannot void areas in the middle of the offense and let Lewis just get to the second level. Um, without any sort of pushback or um, somebody getting an arm on him. I mean, even if you don't make the tackle, we just need to – he can't just have a hole where he can really get to the second level at full speed. So defensive tackle play is going to be important. Spilling stuff outside um, with those those good fills from our linebackers is going to be important. But if the defensive tackles are getting moved out of their – fits, which they shouldn't because, again, this is not a team that, that can move you around very much, even if you are undersized just like they are. So um, defensive tackles need to hold up. If they hold up, I like our chances here. Let me ask this. Do you think we see more Fuga run again? Obviously Crawford's back. We saw Crawford a lot on the field last week. I'd like. I, I, here's what I'd like to see, and, and this is no disrespect to Hewitt. I'd like to see um, Crawford and, H- and and Kendricks run the front line, okay, and let Hewitt work with Fuga in the second line. Okay, you balance undersized with very good size, and then you have the two guys that are kind of in the two ninety range on the front line together. That's what I would do. I got you, and I'm I'm, I'm assuming you're thinking Norrell's just third down specialist, third and over five, he's in regardless. Yeah, of and, and honestly, we're, we're at a point now with some of the depth we're starting to get at the tackle position as guys are getting healthy. You know, having him have another year and get some more size where he's not having to play the front line is probably a good thing for us. Absolutely. Because I like I like his I like his top end ability, but I'd like to see him put on another ten or fifteen pounds before he's a, a three down player for us, night in night out. Absolutely. Another guy that's made this list, and when you mentioned earlier Louisville, we talked about it, Alan Tisdale, once again in our pivotal players role because of the dual threat quarterback and all the things he can do. 
obviously on defense, dropping run blitzes, pass blitzes, actually covering people, and spying athletic quarterbacks. Yep. Now, where do you put Malik's, this Malik's, Malik Willis's compared to Cunningham's level? More of a problem for, for Tisdale or less? Uh, that's a really great question, man. Um, I think this offense needs Willis to run more than Louisville needed Cunningham to run. Okay. But I think Cunningham overall is the better athlete. So I'm kind of hedging my bet there a little bit. <laughs> you're, not, you're not hedging your bet. What you're saying is Malik's was more scramble drills. You, We did not see – I don't think we saw one quarterback draw um, – against us. I'd have to go back in the memory and look at it. Don't remember any draws. I remember the scrambles compared to where Malik is what they do. Clearly he's leading the team and rushing the ball in his, in his hands so much where Tisdale may not be playing coverage or may not be blitzing as much where he's just stay with that guy. And if he decides to run, find him and get him down. Yeah, it's going to be a whole lot more design runs and design runs where there isn't any sort of, you know, passing misdirection into it. It's definitely going to be more of the window dressing in the backfield with the motion than it is going to necessarily be, you know, like the the draws that we saw with with Cunningham. So, um, you know, and you're going to see a lot more, you know, the sweeps with the quarterback, sometimes with that, that lead blocker, whether it's the jet man or whether it's the running back. So, um, it's going to be a tall order stopping the the running game and staying disciplined there. So from that perspective, like I said, I think Willis is probably a little more dangerous. Um, but I, th- I like Cunningham's athleticism a little bit more. Gotcha. Now the third guy, Brian, I didn't get a chance to, I was heading to baseball practice and when, when I said, Hey, finish the list real quick, man, just cause I'm not going to have time. Baseball game, not practice. Why did you put Chamari third? Jamari Connor, number three. Because of how much they run the ball, man. He's going to be relied on heavily, um, setting the edge, catching the, the, the trash that's getting spilled outside, um, getting some good run fills in there. Um, we're going to be relying on him heavily. He's probably also at some some points, if Tisdale's not spying on Willis, he's going to be the guy that's spying Willis. So he's going to be called on to do a whole lot in the running game. And – Honestly, the area that he's weakest in in the passing game is probably not going to be as glaring against a team like this. So I think he's going to be a guy to look for and have a standout game. Got it. All right. So there's your three pivotal key players on defense, the defensive tackle groups, Alan Tisdale, Chamari Connor. Let's flip over to the offensive. Number one, when you told me how they looked up front, it was not even a question that it's Juice Herbert. Yep. <laughs> um, we we gonna run the ball all day, and uh, you know I'm, I'm calling it now. He's gonna he's gonna break 200. All right, so he's breaking 200. Is he gonna break a thousand? He's gonna hit that. Was it 207 he needs? Yeah, I, I've got him clipping. Unless we get out way way big way early, and we just start resting a lot of the starters, he's gonna get he's gonna get that 207. All right, he's gonna get to two oh seven. Well, if well, the honest truth is though, even if we're resting, if we're up big, he might have broke two or three over four. So he still might have got to two oh seven. He still might be close, yeah. All right. The second set of guys 
again, this is more Brian. We hit the first two guys on defense, and then I had to step away. I'm not shocked once you talked about Darrell. I saw him. I almost mentioned him, but I didn't. Luke Tenuta and Christian Darisaw are offensive tackles as the number two pivotal player on offense. Um, Brian, you've already hit it once, but just, just you know, recalibrate why you feel they're important in both aspects of our offense. I mean, seals on outside zone and keeping uh, Darrell Johnson away from him and Hooker and any passing games where they can really, you know, pin their ears back and come after Herbert. I mean, come after uh, Hooker. Can so, I ask you a question? Yeah. Has Darrell seen anybody near as good as Darisaw or Tenuta? Um, Tenuta, maybe in the ballpark. Darisaw, hell no. Okay. <laughs> because I think I see your number three on this big stone gap and Nick Gallo. Are you putting on there because of Darrell, because of they're going to be helping, or is it more passing game, or is it a little combination of both? Combination of both. I mean, I highlighted we're going to look at some uh, probably some screens, some short passes, some throwbacks. That's James Mitchell and Nick Gallo all day. Um, running game, they're going to be responsible for chipping, helping seal, um, getting up on some of their backers to make sure that there's some lanes outside uh, for Herbert to to really take advantage of. Um, so they're going to be needed on in both aspects of the offense, both run and pass. And I, I like both of them to have um, a good day, and I like James Mitchell to probably have a pretty big day. I hear you, Mitchell. You know, we knew Mitchell was going to be a was going to be a star in every every aspect this year. But I tell you what, Nick Gallo has really proven himself in these first six games, not only as a blocker, but making some timely catches. And in a way where the focus of a lot of those linebackers and safeties go to Big Stone is when Nick's kind of come through with some good catches. Um, and, it, and it's great to have, especially after losing Dalton. And it's awesome that he has stepped in the way he stepped. Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely um, – he's played about as well as I hoped he would play when we were talking about all this stuff preseason. So hats off to Nick Gallo so far. Absolutely. All right, let's hit real quick. Released earlier today, Dean Ferguson gets to 25. Um, I saw somebody make a joke where we're not going to see him a lot. I feel like Dean's out there a ton on special teams. Maybe I'm missing it, but I feel like on kick return, punt return units, he is there. Um, and clearly, I'm pretty sure he is on pretty much every standard special yeah. teams unit we have, except for uh, uh, PAT field goal. Yeah, which is not shocking for a linebacker because usually that's going to be your offensive grouping. But good yeah. for him. Um, guy that maybe in the next couple of years we see into a starting role in the linebacking core. All right, Brian, near and dear to our hearts. Well, kind of. It's all maroon. I like it. Just take away the stripes. God, take away the fucking stripes. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Just make it Our, all the from, from, from the chest plate down, it's perfect. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. When I read it, I, 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 as I was scrolling Twitter, I saw someone put up, oh, all maroon. I'm like, oh, awesome. And I look, and it's like, that's nah, the stripes. It's only, um, 
It's only halfway. It's only halfway because there it is. I'm, I'm looking at it now. There are the freaking stripes. Why? Maroon, maroon, beautiful white VT right there on the right on the collarbone. It would be great. The helmet's fine. I'm actually okay with having the stripes on the helmet. Yeah. Chest below, neck below, all maroon. <laughs> the stripe on the helmet's fine. The stripe. God, why, like, why is it framing the neckline? Like, at least the stripes, like, in the uh, kind of the, the Logan Thomas era that were, like, truly on the shoulder pads. Yes. Quite as bad. These are god awful. I don't know, man. I'm sorry. Well, you, you, just, you just shake your head at it. All right, so we've got the 25. Let's get to our predictions. Brian, you led last week. I'm going to lead this week. Go um, for it. Putting the Hokies in the win column this week. Hey. Hey, we're back. <laughs> um, I don't think Liberty's played anybody. And I personally see us hopefully shedding them and for the people like Norm Wood who put them in the top 25 without doing research, because I hate to say this, if Virginia Tech played that sort of schedule, Norm would have us at like 36. So people at a, they're doing a disservice to journalism because you're not doing any research. They played literally, I think they're the third worst schedule in the country. Yeah. They've won all their games, but be honest. Give me 48-28 VT. Okay. Uh, I'm right there with you, bud. I'm not quite as high um, in both columns, but I'm I'm right there on the spread. Uh, Give me 45-24 VT all day. All right. So there we go. Put a capper on. Know the enemy. And let's move over as I look, and it's 31-3 now. Uh, yeah, we were inside the uh, 10 and we went for it on fourth and one. And, you know, somebody who usually doesn't play forgot to block a linebacker on a quarterback sneak. I'm shocked. Not that shocked. <laughs> All right. Let's take a look and do some of our picks. Yes. Last week, as we mentioned, Saturday night, you guys heard on Monday, we had our worst week ever. Um, I was one and seven. Brian was two and six. We kept <laughs> Yeah, we we yacked all over the place. This was um, this was like you know, guy in college we know would just get housed, pass out, puke all over himself. That's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> I know that guy. You know that guy. If he's listening tomorrow, you know I, who you I are. Think he's, a, he's a fairly regular listener, so shout out. Shout out. Don't, don't throw up on yourself. It's, it's it's not cool. Not cool at all. <laughs> but if you want to comment under the page, feel free to do so. Call yourself out. Everybody's had their moments. But let's take a look at some of these picks, Brian. Um, let's start with NC State Miami tomorrow night. Miami laying ten and a half. What are you feeling on this one, buddy? Man. I'm going to take Miami. Uh, I think I'm going to go with Miami here. Yeah. I, I just, I'm not sure about NC State with Hawkman. And, you know, I, I think Miami does just enough to, to clear the 10 and a half there. It's true, man. And, you know, last week, 
you know, give NC State, um, you know, we, we, we sort of, me and both went with, um, we essentially both went with uh, NC State. Oh, no, that was a couple weeks ago. So my bad. I'm looking at the wrong thing. I feel like Carolina screwed us out last week, right? They were like 13 and a half point favorites. So I'm thinking of another game, but I'm with you. It's I see Miami on this one um, kind of bouncing back, laying the 10 and a half. I think they probably win the game somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 35-21. I don't I, – I just can't see NC State scoring enough to keep it within two scores. Yeah, I've got a 12 to 14 point spread in my head as well. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a it, – it's, it's a solid, but I think it's, you know, good enough to, to beat the 10 and a half there. Absolutely. All right, next let's look at UNC Duke. Um, UNC laying 11 and a half. I know this is a rivalry game and everything, but we've seen Duke play and Duke even against us where we were down and having struggles, they still lost us by 10 points. I do not count that field goal. If you, if you lost, (laughs) you you know, curse at the head coach because clearly he had some money and he took uh, his side, but I can't see them keeping it this close. I see Carolina with what they do offensively. I mean, I could see this like a 40. I could see this similar to the NC State game. Like, in you know, UNC gets into the low 40s and Duke maybe breaks 20. Okay. Okay. I'm uh, I'm right there with you. I think it's a, a UNC bounce back. Um, I don't <laughs> – I just don't see them laying two eggs like that back to back against what you would call secondary rivalry teams. True. Uh, so give me UNC there. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. UNC lost to UVA, so they screwed us last week too, laying that seven when they couldn't get out of their own way. All right. This is an interesting one here. Cause it's another Double digit line. Syracuse BC. BC is laying 13 and a half. Now, Brian, I presented to you a little bit earlier how bad Syracuse was, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Yes. Is that enough for you to lay 13 and a half with BC, or are you going to go the other way? Yeah, this is a tough one because I don't necessarily like Syracuse is not great, but probably what their defense does okay at is is coverage in the passing game. I think they give up a ton in the in the rushing game. BC does not rush the ball with any degree of efficiency. Um, <laughs> I'm going to take Syracuse. All right. Brian, take I see it as like a ten point win by BC, but I don't. I don't think they get to the thirteen and a half. Brian taking Syracuse, laying thirteen and a half. I can't. I can't do that because I think as even as good as as okay as Syracuse is on the back end, I think BC might have got a little bit of confidence from that game last week against Clemson. Okay. So I am going to lay the 13 and a half and I'm, I'm going to be risking it because I see this as like a 14 to 16 point game. <laughs> and this is like the ones where it's like you see 
and you're like, yeah, that's like a 16 or 14 point game. And then immediately you take it off your book. Like, no, we can't screw with that one. That's way too close to what my head is saying. So yeah, give me BC in that case. All right, Brian, we've got our first real toss up game of the day here. Pitt FSU. FSU is the favorite here laying two. I have no clue how. Um, is Paris Ford worth, you know, FSU being favored? Maybe, maybe not, but that's still a solid defense. Even as bad as Pickett is, it is one of the worst defensive teams they'll play all year. I'll take Pitt in this case to break their losing streak and to, um, you know, sort of to right the wrong as they get ready to come into Hokie land in a, or play the Hokies in a couple weeks here. So give me Pitt, give me the two points. I'm going to go the same direction with you, buddy. Okay. Um, Pitt hasn't looked great on the back end, even with Paris Ford this year. They've been average at best. In some games, they've been pretty awful. Um, they're going to be great up front regardless. Um, so I, I think that's going to be enough to give them the advantage here. So give me Pitt. And I think Pitt wins it outright. Yep, same, same. I think Pitt wins it outright to go to four and four and possibly be above 500 coming into the game against Virginia Tech. All right, we're going to go for two out-of-conference games, and we're going to come back to the, the biggest game of the weekend in all of college football. Tomorrow night, 9.30, I probably will not see this game. I, You know, I, I got to play it smart, right? We stay up late on Saturdays. We're watching games late. We're recording. We're drinking beers. We're having a good time. BYU, Boise, number nine, BYU, number 21, Boise. This is at the Blue Smurf turf. Where hey. over Boise has been good pretty much, you know, ever since they became relevant about 15 years ago. They are home dogs. BYU is laying three and a half. So Boise getting three and a half at home here, Brian. What are you seeing on this game? Man, um, you know, I'm going to go with the historical numbers here, and I'm going to take Boise State in the three and a half. All right. Believe it or not, I'm right with you because this is going to be BYU's first real challenge of the year. Um, they hadn't their competition to this point. You know, as I take a look through the data here, the competition up to this point for BYU it's it's not really been that great. BYU, this is who they played this year, Brian. You ready? Yep. They played Navy week one. What did we find out about Navy after that game? They hadn't been tackling at practice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Then they played Troy. Not good. Not good. Troy's four and two. Pretty decent team, but it's still Troy. Then they played Louisiana Tech. University of Texas, San Antonio, the most competitive game was with Houston and then Texas State and Western Kentucky. I think this is the best roster they'll see. I think this is the best scheme they'll see. Give me the three and a half with you, Brian. I think Boise pulls the outright upset. And I think BYU goes tumbling back to earth, um, even the Wilson kid. 
Yeah, yeah. Even the Wilson kid's going to tumble back to earth. <laughs> yeah. Got to go against the name sometime. All right. It's okay. Um, next one, go to the SEC. Top 10 matchup, five versus eight. One of my favorite games of the year, always. Always has been since I was a kid. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party. It is not the world's largest outdoor party. It is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. And if anybody tries to tell you any different, say no, you're wrong. Um, my co-worker and someone you know, big Georgia fan, always goes down. We've heard some of her stories from down there. It gets pretty insane at the oh, cocktail yeah. party. It's one of those, it's on my bucket list to just go down there and be like a neutral observer, just like sit in the middle and just like, I don't see how stupid you people get. But on this game, Brian, Florida, Georgia, Georgia is laying three and a half. And as much as I love Tammy, I've got to go against her. For the simple fact, Georgia's played one good offense all year and Bama lit them up. This is the second best offense they'll see. Not a good defense, but I don't think they keep up with Florida. I think Florida gets somewhere like, 27-28. I think Georgia is a tick behind probably 21-24. I think it's going to be a hell of a game. But I see that I'll take the points because I'm thinking Florida wins this game outright. Man, another week where we're agreeing a whole lot. Oh, God. Well, hold on. <laughs> Two weeks ago, it was great. Last yeah. week, it was the shits. Yeah, two weeks ago we had one difference. I was one better than you, I think. Maybe two. Last you, week we were. You were last week we were, uh, six and two. We were one yeah. game different. We were still on the plus side. Yeah. Last week was the exact opposite. I was still better than you, but I was in the negative. <laughs> we both should be bad. Yeah, not good. <laughs> Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm with Florida for a lot of the same reasons that, that you're there, man. I think that this offense is potent enough that they're going to give Uga some problems. So yeah, I see them pulling the outright win here. Yep. So we're, we're both going Florida. You can, you can put that on your money line. I'm actually going to do a little in house research here. Have you decided what your legal limit bet is for the week? It's coming. <laughs> uh, let's. I'm just interested. Let's see here. Florida's Florida's plus one forty in a money line bet. So what is it? Bet a hundred to win one hundred and forty. That would be a pretty good. That would not be a bad bet. I mean, it's not like you're not getting into the two hundred where. You see some of these betting experts, like, they see a line at, like, plus 500. It's like, yeah, but that team could play good enough to beat that team. Screw it. <laughs> so it's hilarious. All right, Brian. Notre Dame-Clemson, number one versus number four. D- T- Trevor Lawrence out, DJ Ukulele. Yeah, that's what my cousin from South Carolina sent me a little gif. It was like, Yuga Lele. And it's the Joey. <laughs> But it's the Joey one from uh, 
from Friends, where she's going through all of them, and at the end he says ukulele, and it's like Jesus <laughs> Christ. Clemson road favorites at five and a half points. Brian, what you feeling on this one? I liked enough of what I saw from ukulele, um, despite it being close. I feel like Clemson kind of felt its way around in the first half and then got their footing in the second half. Um, I like them coming out knowing what they're going to do this week with a little bit more time to install the game plan around um, this quarterback and around what they can do with them. So give me Clemson covering the five and well, the, laying the five and a half there. Yeah. And this is my legal limit, and I am right with you, man. And did we disagree on anything? Nope, we disagreed on BCQs. Uh, well, <laughs> um, I, I gotta go here with Clemson, and because five and a half, just it's. I haven't seen enough out of Notre Dame that tells me that they're going to either outscore or hold Clemson down, right? They've given up some points and some, some suspect teams. They've been held down by some suspect teams. This is not a suspect team. This is also a team with a lot of talent that kind of got scared last week, right? Yeah. They got scared last week, so I think they probably had one hell of a good practice week. I think it's going to be a good game, but I see this as like a 10-point game. I see this some – my vision, I see like 27-17. I think Clemson's probably going to slow it down, play a little more run than just trying to flick it out like they would with Lawrence. So between ETN and ukulele size, give me that five and a half. Yeah, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be able to run the ball like they have all season against Clemson. So no, I've got it somewhere in like the – probably Clemson getting to like 30, 35, and Notre oh, okay. Dame being somewhere around 20, 21. So I right, think so it's a – Old game for Clemson. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I I, th- I think they're the defense is at, woke up after a, a a quick scare last week, and I feel like the offense having a full week to game plan around this quarterback will have something to show. Got it. All right, what you smoking this weekend, Sieg? Brisket, sir. Brisket. Very nice. Just just barbecue. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm just straight up Texas style, man. Little Fair. no frills, probably make a couple sides to go with. It's going to be fun though. Uh, Saturday or Sunday for that? Probably going to go Sunday with this one. Okay. All right. I know you know it's still that time of year where people are still out doing stuff before it starts getting got awful cold. So I thought I'd ask that. Anything yeah, else I mean, breaking? Sometimes the brisket you're talking about a twelve to fifteen hour smoke. So I'm just. Yeah, but you stay I, up. I'm, you stay up yeah. one in the morning and let it go to one in the afternoon. Yeah, but the way I haven't been sleeping the last few nights between school and this election and everything else, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Anything. I'm going to need a couple nights where I can get some shut eye on time. I hear you, man. I hear you. I'm scrolling real quick. I'm not seeing anything. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything additional breaking unless you are. Nothing on this front, man. All right, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler.
Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe for your podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. We always let our friend Jason Long, who's down in the NRV, play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. And Jason will be playing on the 19th of November down at Bloom Restaurant and Wine Bar down in Roanoke. So go check him out. And Brian, as always, let's go. Okies.